Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning. And this is indeed... Dirt Radio, I'm John Langer. Another edition. What is an environment campaigner and activist supposed to do in the post-truth world, a world where alternative facts and fake news exist, where, most importantly, the world is being remade by Brexit, the victory of Donald Trump, and, in Australia, the emergence of Pauline Hanson and the One Nation Party. Cam Walker is a campaign coordinator for Friends of the Earth here in Melbourne, and he's a regular on Dirt Radio. Cam, good morning. Good morning, John. Now, I know you've been thinking long and hard about these questions. Right after the Trump victory in the U.S. in November, you organized a roundtable discussion with all the faux collectives to discuss what you called organizing in the Trump era. And... Uh, this was a very, at least from, from my point of view, a rather unusual occasion. Why did you call this meeting? I think it's fair to say, and we're all aware of this, that um, the political landscape is really shifting, and it's something that's been underway for years, if not decades, but it's come into sharp relief, particularly with the election of Trump before that, with the, the English uh, decision to uh, exit from the EU, and, of course, with the rise of populist right-wing parties here. And um, this presents a whole bunch of challenges to us as environmentalists because, of course, the populist right agenda is generally an anti-environment agenda. It's part and parcel of um, that worldview. And it just, uh, it just seemed that we needed to get together to figure out what it means for us as environmental activists and how we need to respond and uh, how we can be more effective uh, this isn't going away, obviously. Uh, there's just been some polling release that shows that One Nation is gaining traction here in Victoria. Uh, it's certainly strong in other parts of the country. So, you know, it's something we need to consider and we need to develop strategies for working in these new realities. Now, I wanted to ask about the meeting because I was, I was there, but just in terms of your feelings about that meeting, what was the thing that that first meeting that you had, what was the thing that impressed you about what was said by the various collectives? Um, well, to be honest, I think, you know, at that point, a lot of us were still in shock. The, the first meeting we held was after the election of Donald Trump. And I think, you know, there was just this deep level of grief that people were feeling. And certainly I know a lot of our colleagues in North America that are dealing with the realities of what that means. You know, people are still in shock and they are really in a high level of grief. I think we kind of considered that and then moved on quite quickly to, well, what are we going to do about it? Mm. And I think um, the two things that really struck me was the first thing is, Friends of the Earth, different parts of the organisation are already doing really interesting work with, if you like, non-traditional allies, um, particularly I was pointing to the example of the campaign to build 
vocal public support for renewable energy and to get the ban on fracking in Victoria, which was both of those campaigns were based on working with people outside the traditional kind of enclave of environmental supporters. But I think also that people move very quickly um, to actions and to solutions rather than getting stuck in despair. And I think, you know, that's a really good thing when people are able to, to pull together to share ideas and develop strategies that are going to work. And uh, look, I, I want to follow you uh, a little bit chronologically. I'm, I'm being a bit presumptuous here, and I'm constructing, a, if you like, a Dirt Radio Cam Walker biography. But as I understand it, you went to the United States for a holiday and a bit of a break. This was over December, January, but you couldn't resist doing a bit, bit of campaign investigating. And you ended up speaking to lots of Americans about this, their situation. I was just wondering what you were talking about to them and what you found out. Yes, so I was lucky enough to be in a town on the day after the inauguration when the women's marches happened. So I joined a local march in a a very small town and um, the main street of that town was completely full of people. Hundreds and hundreds of people came out in a tiny little town. And I guess, you know, the thing that really struck me at, at that point and elsewhere in the journey was lots of people were saying to me, I have never been an activist. I have never been to a protest. I have never done anything like this before, but I feel compelled. I think there's this real sense in the United States that, oh, my God, if we do not resist this, this could become fascism, this could become totalitarianism. And I think a lot of people who normally don't engage in politics are becoming very engaged however and wherever they are. Um, also, just being, you know, an Australian tourist, I I, I felt I could ask people um, randomly, uh, ask people, well, what is going on here and did you vote for Trump? And so I actually spoke to a really serious number of people who said, yes, I did. And it was fascinating to see the reasons why. Part of it gave me despair. Part of it gave me hope. But I think the thing that really struck me was lots of people would just kind of, you know, they'd talk to you and then you'd say, well, how did you actually vote for that guy who said all those things about, you know, entire races, about entire genders? How did you actually go in the booth and vote for him? And they just couldn't answer that. It was just, well, I, I felt like I had no choice. So there's this real strong sense of denial um, that a lot of people have that actually, you know, did the deed and voted for him. And in a way that, you know, it's, it's a bit like um, buyer's remorse. It's a bit late now, but mm. I feel actually heartened by the number of people who said, well, in hindsight, if I'd known what would happen, I probably wouldn't have done it. Very interesting. And, and you felt being, being an Australian, being, a, as it were, a stranger in a strange land was very helpful in, in getting, getting people to open up to you. Yes, I was surprised how much people wanted to talk about it, and particularly the Trump voters. You know, if uh, at one point I remember I was talking to a, a group of nurses, um, and they were just in despair. You know, when they they were already seeing what would happen with the wind back of the the limited uh, public health care they have there under the Obamacare initiative. You know, people were in shock and they were really upset and they were really angry. The Trump voters, on the other hand, were often wanting to speak. I felt like, you know, as the Catholic priest absolving them of their sins, they wanted to tell me what they had done and why they had done it. And it was a very strange experience. And I think... um, you know, people, many people said to me, well, if we'd voted in Clinton, it would have been more of the same and the country really, really needs change. Something needs to be done that's different. 
this was the only alternative we had, so we did it. And then I think, you know, they woke. it all made sense at the time, and then they've woken up and they've seen that everything he promised to do, he intends to do. And I think they're realising, you know, just how terrible that will be for their country, certainly for the social fabric of their country. There are, of course, pockets of the country where he has really, really strong support, but the minute you're outside there, you know, societies really are very split. Um, in many ways, life seems very normal. People, you know, go about their business, but it really feels like the United States is at an incredibly powerful point in its history. And, you know, the, the, the waters on top seem still, but underneath there's a lot of turmoil. And look, I, I have to ask you this in terms of what you were talking about and learning about there. How do you see it in relation to the Australian situation? It's exactly the same thing. I mean, the way I see it is what's going on now is just another version of the culture wars. We have a very ideological right wing in Australia, as as is the case in Western Europe and the UK and and the United States. They've found a new way to frame their concerns. Now they talk about the elite. And now what they're trying to do is actually actively attack the structures of democratic society, so attacking the media being the obvious one, but attacking the status quo and, and drawing attention to the fact that the system is not working for average people. So really, it's nothing new. You know, it, it's the package that Pauline Hanson was talking about in the 1990s. It's the world is complex. The world is scary. We're beset by many problems, such as terrorism and mass movement of people. When people are scared, they're very open to um, simplistic mm-hmm. solutions. That's true in religion. It's also true in politics. Um, more and more Australians are living uh, in insecure employment or unemployment, and that also makes people more susceptible, I think, to this kind of message of you've got to blame someone else, someone else is to blame. Um, and, of course, coming with that agenda is a fiercely anti-environment agenda. And so what we're seeing really is the final kind of stages played out of corporate globalisation, which is neoliberalism on a global scale, uh, redefining the world uh, to benefit corporations. And clearly that's not worked for the majority of people. And um, that's why it's so fascinating that Trump and Hanson and all the rest of them have a left-wing agenda, which is anti-corporate globalisation, anti-free trade, and also a right-wing agenda, which is the xenophobia. So... um, I think what's interesting is how do we pull out the sections of it that are actually the turf of the left and turf of progressive people, particularly the critique of how the system is not working for average people, and how do we start speaking to people about these things? And this actually very, very nicely leads to my next question, because last week I know that there was another organizing um, organizing in the era of Trump meeting that you had uh, at foe with the collectives and... Uh, is it okay for you to talk about what happened at that meeting, which was, say, for example, different from the first meeting? What did you? What? What, what was the? I would call it the outlook and the, the general ambience of the, of of that second meeting, which happened last week. I think there's a sense that we need, if you like a product that we can get across to people. And that product has to be broader than just environmentalism. It needs to be environmentalism, but through the frame of how does environmentalism impact on people in their day-to-day lives? Of course, that's going to be bread and butter issues like the cost of electricity, the cost of energy, the impacts of climate change, but also, I think, drawing together the links between how the corporate agenda pushes down wages 
and is hostile to unions and secure working conditions as it is also hostile to environmental protection. So it's around articulating a vision that, well, actually, we are all in this together and by working, you know, across political barriers, we're able to become very effective. And that was the take-home message of the campaign that delivered the, the gas campaign. And I think out of that meeting, we very clearly said... What we want to do is articulate a broader vision which is progressive in its politics but is able to engage people where they are in the realities that they have of living in Melbourne and living in Victoria in 2017. Now, do you, one of the things that's, uh, I guess, interesting in, for, for me and I suppose for you as well, that there are a number of different uh, environmental groups working across a whole range of areas. Do you see a possible strategy where these groups can potentially come together a bit more? Is, is that a way forward in, in, in terms of this discussion? Oh, absolutely. Um, obviously, groups like Friends of the Earth, you know, we're pretty skinny in terms of resources. We don't have, you know, so to speak, people we can throw at issues like this. So we're pretty busy day to day with our campaigning, which is unchanged, uh, you know, under, under the changed political circumstances. We've got as much to do as we've ever had. I think there's a need for progressive forces to, you know, generally get together and talk, and that's happening organically. There's probably a point where you would want to bring together uh, representatives of all the progressive community organisations across society to start to hammer out, you know, some, um, some, some strategies and some practical activity. But I always look at the fact that, you know, on the left, you might have 15 to 20% of people are politically aligned and, you know politically engaged and you've probably got a similar number number on the right but that leaves the majority of people who are just kind of getting on with their lives you know they'll vote every four years mm. but they're not particularly engaged in the political process so really they're the people that progressives have not been very good at talking to and certainly environmentalists haven't been very good at talking to these uh, constituents and I guess our job in the next couple of years is to find ways to really engage with them much more strongly um, and you know engage with them in a way that actually makes sense to them and their realities. I'm thinking um, sort of about the Adani mine at the moment and people have said that that's going to be or has been talked about as the next Franklin Dam and is it, is it possible to bring people together around some major um, major issue like that? Is, that? is that a way forward? Yes, but that's part of it. So that's what I'd call the site resistance. So we need to oppose destu destructive projects. The political landscape in Australia is completely different now to even eight or ten years ago in that Adani is being resisted by local traditional owners but also farmers that are on the route of the proposed railway link between the coal mine and, and the port facilities. Lock the Gate has brought together conservative farming communities and environmentalists. So we've, we're actually already doing that work. The site resistance is already underway. And, and, and Another option, though, or another aspect of what we need to do is actually to be building a new narrative around different issues. So we need to keep opposing things like Adani and, and fracking for gas and all the rest of it, but we also need to be concentrating on what is the new story about how we want our society to be, you know, how would the social relations work, how would we ensure that it's for the public good and the community good and the environmental good rather than the profit of the corporations. And I think that's really the, the tougher work that we need to grapple with. Site resistance is underway. 
It's very effective. It will continue. It will respond every time a new destructive project is put up. But that alternative narrative, I think, is, is in some ways the really interesting stuff because it is actually harder to imagine what that would look like. Now, just uh, finally, to ask a very very direct question, I suppose, is that what would be the next practical step that FOE as an organisation would be doing? You, you have alluded to this, but say in the next six months or eight months or whatever, where would where would things be going? So we've just had a really fantastically successful campaign to get a permanent ban on the process of fracking in Victoria. And we did that through working with 75 regional communities, most of whom are conservative voting. So these were people who perhaps historically we didn't work with very well. And we've had a fantastic relationship that has developed with thousands of people in dozens of communities over the last half decade. I think we're considering now that we've won that campaign, how do we keep working with these people and on what issues? So I feel really hopeful, you know, that we've 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 built a much larger movement than was around five years ago. Um, how do we keep working? How do we deepen those relationships? How do we find new issues and new ways of working together? Um, so that will be ongoing this year. And the other thing will be articulating a vision of um, what a sustainable society might look like in language that makes sense to people who are just getting on with their lives. Thanks very much, Cam. Look, it's been really interesting talking to you, and, and uh, I really appreciate your insights this morning. We've had a little bit of an extended conversation, but I really appreciate, and I think uh, people listening would appreciate your comments as well. Thank you, John. And I was talking there with Cam Walker. He's the campaign coordinator with Friends of the Earth here in Melbourne. And as you heard, he was talking about environmental activism in the time of Trump, Brexit, and Hansen and how it's working in relation to the environment movement right here in Australia. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Yarra City Council is celebrating International Women's Day on the 8th of March with a week of community events and activities to highlight and recognise the achievements of women. Two key events are the presentation of the Inspirational Women of Yarra Award, Morning Tea and Award Ceremony and Yarra's International Women's Day Business Luncheon. The Council is also hosting a range of exciting activities including women's panel discussions, art and photographic exhibitions, Zumba and yoga classes, women's only swim session and mums and bubs story time. Check out yarracity.vic.gov.au or phone 92055555 for more information. City of Yarra is a 3CR supporter. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, 
The nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is out. This is Dirt Radio, and uh, it's John Langer here. You can hear in the background... We're at yeah. a rally in Melbourne, and uh, yeah. this I'm talking with John Knox. He's with 350.org, and they're having a rally outside the Westpac Bank in the city, and it's to do with the Adani coal mine. John, good morning. Hi, John. How are you? Good. Tell us what's happening down there. Well, we've got uh, got over 200 people outside the Westpac branch on the corner of uh, Collins and Swanston. And we're uh, we're re- rewording the uh, YMCA, and you can hear them in the background, perhaps. Right. And uh, tell us a little bit about, just a, a, a very small bit about why the rally's being held. Okay. Um, we, we've uh, been, been uh, told just recently uh, through uh, our politicians in Canberra that they're uh, considering giving a $1 billion loan to uh, a billionaire Indian by the name of Gautam Adani to fund a rail line to the Galilee Basin, which is, a, which is um, where Adani proposes to, to uh, build a, a massive coal mine, a coal mine that will put, um, put us out of the equation as far as uh, a safe climate is concerned. And I understand that Westpac has lots of banks have uh, pulled out of this um, in this project, but Westpac has still got its uh, let's put it this way, put it, got its fingers in the pie. Yeah, well, um, NAB is the only of the big four banks that has has definitely ruled out funding Adani, um, but uh, but ANZ and the Commonwealth have both both given indications that they're not inclined to fund any coal mines. Uh, Westpac is the only one of the big four that has uh, has said that, uh, has, has not in fact said anything on the subject. It sounds like uh, you've got a quite a quite a large group down there and they're being very <laughs> vocal, is that right? Yeah, we're, 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 we're having a, a good time here, we're singing songs, uh, we've done some chanting, uh, we've had some a bit of street theatre. We've got some people uh, um, that look like dead fish, as it were. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, basically because uh, the reef has been was bleached. Ninety percent of the reef was bleached last year, uh, and thirty percent of that will not recover. So the reef is dying, um, and this mine will will ensure that the reef, in fact, dies. Uh, now, the Adani people have said in court that their mines will only um, only produce 1,500 jobs for Queensland, and it may not even be for Queenslanders because they'll, they'll be having a fly-in, fly-out operation. Um, put against that the 70,000 70, people who are... Um, who are um, in the tourism in industry in Queensland, dependent upon a, a, a uh, flourishing reef for their livelihood. And you can see that this just doesn't stack up. 
Uh, also, Adani has uh, been involved in environmental degradation through other, uh, other operations overseas. They have a track record of bad environmental governance and they also have a, a rather uh, interesting company structure where uh, they, they um, push profits out overseas to, through Singapore to the Cayman Islands. And so there is very, very little likelihood that, uh, that they will pay any money in Australia at all. Well, John, I, I, yeah, I hope, look, I hope that message is getting out there and uh, lots of people are walking by and finding out about it. And also, of course, the bank finding out very clearly that there is great opposition to this project. So I wish you all the best and I hope the rally goes very well. It sounds like it's going extremely well. Thanks so much for being on Dirt Radio. Thanks a lot, John. You have a good day. Bye-bye. And I was talking there to John Knox. He's the spokesperson for 350.org. And as you heard, they're down at Westpac in the CBD having a rally against the Adani Carmichael mine. And this has been Dirt Radio. We'll be back next week. Speak to you then.